the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You heard the song, and now here's the story. A young 26-year-old music director was counting down the days till his church's big Christmas production. Actually, this young man was sweating bullets because the pastor had asked him to write an original script for the Thomas Road Baptist Church living Christmas tree. The choir director wanted to approach Mary's character in a fresh way, and it seemed as if everything that could be said had already been done. So, the pressure was on. And his writing block seemed like an immovable mountain. But then he got a flash of inspiration from his mother. While they were talking about the biblical Christmas story, his mother made this comment. I sure would like to talk to Mary and ask her what it was like raising God's son. And that comment sparked a thousand questions in that young man's mind. Like this. Was it surreal to realize that the Messiah needed you to change his diapers? Did you ever feel awkward teaching God how he created the world? Did you know that Jesus could do miracles before he turned water into wine? Did you ever say, clean up this mess? Were you born in a barn? (laughs) Those questions became the germ of an idea for a song that we just heard. Mary, did you know? And that nervous choir director was Mark Lowry. In 1991, the song finally debuted, and since then it's become one of the most beloved modern Christmas carols of all time. And here's what he had to say about his song. Mr. Lowry said, quote, This song is one, my one hit wonder. And since I don't have any kids, it's the closest thing I'll have to a legacy. I hope God will use the song to point people to Jesus and realize that he's more than a baby... He's the Savior. Now when you ponder Mary's role in the Christmas drama, it never ceases to amaze me that God entrusted the care of His precious Son to a poor, unknown, peasant Jewish girl. Her child was the only one ever to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And we know, of course, mothers have the deepest connection with their children. How could you not after carrying that young life for nine months? So mamas know their babies more intimately than anybody else. And so Mary had a deeper connection with Jesus than perhaps you and I might be able to fathom. That's why in the Bible, Luke chapter 1 verse 38, we read that statement of the angel, Blessed are you among women. So the question is this morning, how much did 
Mary? Actually, no. I think the Gospel of Luke gives an answer because in the birth narrative in Luke chapter 1 and 2, it contains at least three prophecies given to Mary about the unique identity and destiny of her holy child. By the way, if you've ever wondered why there are two accounts of the birth of Jesus, one in Matthew, one in Luke, it's because God was wise enough to give us the different perspectives. So in Luke, we get Mary's side of the story, and in Matthew, we get Joseph's side of that. In today's message, here's what I want to do. I want to try and answer that question. Mary, did you know? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three prophecies called what I have termed the Mary prophecies. These are prophecies that were given to only Mary. And these prophecies said something unique about the identity and destiny of her child. And these promises have implications today and yes, even in the future. The first one is this, number one. A prophecy of Jesus' supernatural conception. A prophecy of Jesus' supernatural conception. Now we just read about that in Luke chapter 1, specifically in verse 34 and 35. Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. The first prophecy that Mary received defied all human reason. Gabriel announced to her not only would she be the mother of the Messiah, but her conception would be the miracle of miracles. Without the help of the man, the Holy Spirit would conceive in her womb the body that Christ, the Savior, would inhabit. I love the way that Max Lucado mused about this in one of his books. He said, quote, The eternal Son of God became a single fertilized egg. Placenta nourished him. An amniotic sac surrounded him. He grew to the size of a fist. His tiny heart divided into chambers. God became human right down to his toes. Through a miracle, Jesus entered our world as human, but unlike any human had ever done. Heaven's seed enwombed in Mary, mighty yet minuscule, he had, who had suspended the stars and ladled out the seas, yet now suckled at a breast. The infinite became an infant. The Creator came to a cradle. This was deity in diapers. Now, let me just pause right there and talk a little bit about this virgin conception. If you remove the virgin birth of Jesus from Christianity, then it begins to crumble like a house of cards. This is one of those non-negotiable doctrinal truths that we hold dear and preach loud and clear every single year. You see, my friends, had Jesus been born of an earthly father and mother, then the result would have been just another human child who would have inherited the sin nature of his parents. And my friend, one sinner dying on a cross can't save another sinner. I needed a Savior. I needed somebody who was pure, untainted, uncorrupted, 
and holy. Friend, I put it to you like this. If you're drowning, you don't need a doggy paddler. You need the Coast Guard. We needed a sinless Savior who was not behold to the same plight and problem of the sinful condition that you and I were. And God saw fit to send us that sinless Savior. Now, another amazing detail about this virgin birth is how God, in His infinite wisdom, long ago when He designed the female anatomy, He prepared a marvelous way to preserve the purity of Christ in the womb. I want you to listen to this. Do you know that science tells us that 15 to 16 days after fertilization, a baby will begin to develop its own blood cells? Two days later, it will begin forming its own circulatory system. A mother's placenta feeds the baby nutrients and then takes away the baby's waste. But listen to this. Never a drop of blood is exchanged between mother and child. What this means is that the mother's blood type is separate from her baby. And when Jesus was growing in Mary's womb, there was no way that her sinful blood could corrupt His sinless blood. How wisely God provided a way where Jesus could retain His sinless deity and obtain a human nature so that when Christ went to the cross and shed His blood for you and me, He was an all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior for you and me. Oh, friend, I can tell you this morning, I'm pretty good at sinning. You're a good sinner, but we've got a better Savior. I'm thankful that when I was good at sin, that God sent a better Savior. He's a better Savior than I am a sinner. I love the way that Adrian Rogers explained this. He said, quote, The great mystery of the manger is that God could translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. (laughs) All of this had been prophesied and it fulfilled that 700 year old prophecy of Isaiah that we read over in Matthew's account but it's Isaiah 7 and 14 therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name what church? Emmanuel not God above us not God thinks about us from time to time but God with us amen one more thing about this before we move on you know there are many today in the church who deny the virgin birth because they say I can't understand it have you heard that before I have that's the whole point of a miracle by the way you're not supposed to be able to figure it out Or to completely understand it all. I don't have to understand it all to believe it all. Now here's why the virgin birth is so important. It served three purposes in God's salvation plan. Look at this coming up on the slide. First off, the virgin birth proved prophecy. The prophet spoke, Isaiah 7, 14. It was fulfilled. God's word is true. Amen? Secondly, it preserved Jesus' purity, His sinless deity. And then thirdly, it provided Jesus' full humanity. That's why we have to have a virgin birth. That's why we can't bend on this. That's why, friend, I'll never go woke on this doctrinal truth right here. 
Because if you throw this out and say, I can't understand it, therefore I'm somehow above it, you lose your salvation. One of my mentors, Dr. David Reagan, he uh, used to be the president of Lamb and Lion Ministries. He told a story that one time he was preaching a Christmas message much like this. And he was preaching in the church and he was talking about the, the vital truth of the virgin birth. And uh, after the message was over, he said that a, somebody out in the crowd came up to him and he said, Preacher, he said, uh, I, I would really like to be a Christian. I've actually thought about becoming a Christian, but here's the thing. I can't get past the message. I, I can't wrap my mind around the virgin birth. It's hard for me to believe, and therefore, I guess I can't be a believer. Here's what Dr. David Reagan said, and I love this. He said, let me remind you of a very important fact. The person who wrote more about the virgin birth than all the rest of the biblical authors combined was Luke. And according to the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4 and verse 14, Luke was a physician. I don't think that was an accident. Think of it. God used a medical doctor, a man of science, to give us the detailed facts about the virgin birth. And I believe God did this on purpose so that no one could rightfully dismiss the story as mythological imaginings of an ignorant, superstitious person. It was good enough for Dr. Luke. It was good enough for me. And Dr. Reagan said that the man bent his knee right there and received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And friend, you may come today with your doubts, with your questions, and with your skepticisms. And friend... I'm telling you, you can meet the same Jesus, and when you meet Jesus and He changes your life, you'll forget all the arguments you used to have against Him. He's just that great. He's just that powerful. Hey, maybe we need to doubt our doubts today and believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary had to choose to believe, even though it seemed impossible that she was going to receive the Christ child into her womb, and, and you have to do the same thing. Here's the application I want you to hear today. Faith is not a feeling. It's a choice to believe God's Word. And I choose, based on the evidence and based on the historical reliability of this Word, I choose to believe the Word of God over science, over the secular college professors, over what popular opinion might be. I'm standing on the Word of God. Amen? By the way, you don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give us white milk and then be churned into yellow butter. <laughs> if you can't figure that out, then why do you doubt the Word of God? If you have difficulty accepting the virgin birth, listen to me, your intellectual pride is too big and your God is too small. So, number one, I want you to see a prophecy of Jesus' supernatural conception. That's the first thing Mary knew. That her son would be unique. Then number two, the next prophecy that she received is this. Number two, a prophecy of Jesus' suffering cross. His supernatural conception, but then his suffering cross. Now we read about this in Luke chapter 2. You have to flip over a page and drop down a few verses to verse 34 and 35. Let's read it together. The Bible says, let's read together, Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. Here we go. 
And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. That's Luke 2, 34 and 35. This is the second prophecy that Mary received and she heard about this from Simeon. Now Simeon was kind of an obscure character from the cast of Christmas. And they met Simeon, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus met him as they came to the temple 40 days after Jesus was born. They were required to go there uh, to offer sacrifice and then to dedicate baby Jesus to God. But little did they know that an elderly man who'd been given a promise from God would be waiting there to meet them that day. And announced this prophecy. Now, who was this man, Simeon? Just a little highlight of his life. Church tradition says that he was 113 years old when he prophesied over the Christ child. And only God knows how long he had been waiting for this great moment to arrive. But Simeon had been given that promise from God that before he died, he would lay eyes on the Messiah. Friend, you know, we too, we may lay eyes on the Messiah before we die praise God for that but his faith became sight that very day as Mary and Joseph brought the holy child to the temple that day there they were met by one of God's servants who was going to deliver this prophecy of Jesus suffering cross and as Simeon held the Christ child in his hands he breaks out in spontaneous worship and what we just read there was an excerpt from the song that he sings to God and that song is part psalm and part prophecy. And Simeon recognized that the child who, we, who he was holding in his hands was more than just a baby. He was the heaven-sent Messiah. He was the Redeemer. And yet it's that last part, verse 34 and 35, that gave Mary the hardest part. You see, notice what he said there. He said, this child will be as a sword, verse 35. Did you see that? Now, there's a couple of ways in which Jesus' life would prophetically be like a sword. First, he would divide humanity, and he still divides humanity today. Notice the Bible says he was destined for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. You see that there? Like a sword, Jesus would separate humanity into two classes there's really only two classes of people and it's not Ford and Chevy people it's not Duke and Carolina people it's not Coke and Pepsi people it's not Republican and Democrat there's really only two classes of people that God sees it's saved and lost and Jesus is the dividing line that cross that he died upon is the the, the crux of history and it's the dividing line between saved and lost between wheat and tears between sheep and goats between believers and make believers and so that's one way that Jesus separates humanity there is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus you can't ride a fence when it comes to deciding on who is this Christ child he's either Lord at all or he's not Lord at all and friend based on my experience with him He's Lord and God. 
He's either a stumbling block into hell or a stepping stone into heaven. And every man, woman, boy, and girl has to make a decision of what to do with Jesus Christ. Do I accept Him or do I reject Him? Do I worship Him or do I make Him a farce and a fable? Do I bow at His knees and call Him Lord and God? Or do I hear those terrible words one day, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, Jesus is, uh, was, and is the most controversial figure that's ever been born. The name of Jesus. Oh, there's sweetness in that name. There's salvation in that name. There's peace and glory in that name. Oh, but that name is also hated today all around the world. People spit at the name of Jesus. They hate the uh, Christmas and the Christ of Christmas. You see, He still divides humanity today. And you, my friend, have to make a choice of what you will do with him. But then there's another way that he was like a sword. You see, the Bible says that Jesus' suffering would be like a sword that would pierce the heart of his mother Mary. We read of that in verse 35. A sword will pierce through your soul, Simeon told the young mother. Now think about this, that's a prophecy. It's given 32 years before the crucifixion and it was fulfilled on that day when the Son of God took His cross to the hill of Calvary and Jesus was beaten and nailed to that torture device. Now you think about that as a mother. Some of you mamas in here. I can't think of anything more unnatural or heart-wrenching than a parent losing a child. And some of you pray, bless God, you, you've lived through that. You know that pain. You've walked through that valley. I remember what a mother said to me one time, a mother who had lost a son. I asked her, I said, how do you feel? She said, I feel like I died too. It's just that the undertaker forgot to bury me. Because when they buried my child, they buried a piece of me in that ground. Mary knew that kind of pain. In fact, she knew more pain than most of us will ever know because not only did she lose her son, but she had to watch every agonizing second, every whiplash, every hammer blow. She was there, according to John 19, at the foot of the cross when Jesus looked down and he committed the care of his mother into the hands of John. And Simeon on the steps of the temple, looking forward ahead by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said to Mary, oh, he's, he's going to be a unique one. There'll never be one like him. The rising and falling of nations will be at his name. But oh, Mary, there's a sword that's going to be thrust through your heart one day. Think about it. She had to live under the shadow of that prophecy. For 30-some years, she carried that burden. She knew that truth. That one day, oh, that baby that she loved, that baby that she nurtured and raised, was one day going to rip her heart out as he died on that old rugged cross. You see, my friend, Christmas is pointless without the cross. You have to connect a, a crimson thread from Bethlehem's cradle to Easter's cross. This child was born to die. And Mary knew it. She carried that pain her whole life. I love what David Jeremiah wrote about this. 
He said of Simeon's sword piercing Mary, he said, quote, There Jesus hung bloody and rejected. But she was helpless to comfort him or clean his wounds. His mouth was parched, but she could not moisten it. The nails that pierced his hands and feet were driven through her soul. The thorns round his brow were a circle of flame around her heart. Think of how Mary felt in that moment when she realized that prophecy that Simeon spoke long ago was fulfilled. There's a painting done many years ago. It's coming up on the screen. There's a painting which depicts Jesus as a boy in Joseph's carpenter shop. Now I want you to look at this painting real close, my friend. I want you to study this. What do you see here? Notice that Joseph is in the background there. He's working at his bench. And there's little toddler-sized Jesus in the center of that picture. And look at him, he's facing that window. And as the sun is streaming through that window, it shines on Jesus in such a way that what comes over him through that window, it's the shape of the cross. And look at what little Jesus has in his hand, what he's playing with down there as he's rolling around in the sawdust. He's got a nail. Friend, do you see the connection here? Have you accepted Bethlehem's babe today as your Lord, as Mary's little lamb, the lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, the Bible says? Here's the message that I want you to hear. I understand that Christmas can be a difficult time for many people. Some of you are going to have an empty spot at the table this year. Your heart's been aching and it's going to ache because somebody special was taken from you. The icy hand of death reached in your family and robbed you of a precious soul. But I want to tell you here this morning that Jesus is the answer for loneliness. He's the answer for family strife, for grief, for pain. And the greatest comfort that we have here today is we have a suffering Savior. We have a sympathizing Savior who can reach into your broken heart and your broken life and mend what's broken and give you grace and give you mercy today. You see, because He wasn't alien to this pain. He wasn't shielded from the suffering cross. Every grief, every ache, every pain... Everything that you've gone through, He went through for you and for me. And so today, oh friend, bless God today, hope has a name. Joy has a name. Love has a name. Peace has a name. Salvation has His name. They shall call His name Jesus. Oh, or He'll save His people from their sins. What did Mary know? Well, she had that prophecy of His supernatural Conception. Number two, she had that prophecy of his suffering cross. Old friend, I want you to see this. Number three, as we come to a close today, she also had this, a prophecy of Jesus. Sovereign crowning. A sovereign crowning. How many times have you read the Christmas story and missed what I'm about to show you? Friend, I have preached on Christmas for 15 years now. And just this year, I noticed it. And I thought I knew the Christmas story pretty good. But notice this, a prophecy of Jesus' sovereign crowning. We read about it again in verse 31 and 33. The angels promise 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen to this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Notice this. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Did you, did you read that? Praise God. The final prophecy that Mary contemplated was given during that original angelic announcement and it looked ahead past the cross and the empty tomb and it looked ahead beyond the ascension all the way to His glorious second coming. Notice that Gabriel predicted that Mary's child would one day rule over the nation specifically the house of David and from David's throne. Now where does this come from? This is an allusion to two prominent Old Testament passages that told about the Messiah who would be born of the lineage of David and who would have an everlasting dominion. Let me connect the dots for you. The first mention is God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7. That's the Davidic covenant. That's where God promised to David that he would have a throne forever and that would be fulfilled in Jesus. But the second mention comes later on in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We see it on our Christmas cards every year. We only read the first part, but friend, you've got to keep reading beyond verse 6 into verse 7 in which it says, notice, the government shall be on his shoulders... Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of his father David, and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord shall do this. So you've got the conception, you've got the cross, and you've got the crowning all right there in the original Christmas story. And the angel is alluding to these ancient prophecies. Friend, this was never fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. It's not even true right now because the Bible says that Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of His Father in heaven and He's interceding for us on our behalf. This is what I would call one of those unfinished promises of Christmas that will come to pass when Jesus sets His feet back again here on planet earth to rule and reign and uh, governs over a thousand years worldwide government of peace and prosperity and perfection we talk about Christmas 365 <laughs> that's what it's going to be when Christ comes again and the reason that we know that God was going to literally do it is because he kept all of his promises literally in the past he came to the cradle he went to the cross and one day soon He'll wear the crown of glory. Hey, friend, the story's not over yet. Uh, Christmas was just the warm-up, just the introduction. Oh, the cross is that second dark act of the story. But the script has already been written. The epic finale is about to go down. I think that the finale of God's divine drama, the curtain, is about to rise for that final act. And the crescendo of it all will be when the Son of God breaks through the clouds and comes in glory, in power, in victory for His church. And if you're saved and born again today, you got a front row seat. Amen. Amen. 
Oh, my friends, listen to this. How different will that second coming be compared to the first coming? Oh, things aren't going to be the way that they were when he came the first time. When he comes again, oh, notice this. When he came that first time, only a few people knew about it. When he comes again, the Bible says that every eye will see him. Revelation 1-7. The first time he came, a star appeared over Bethlehem. But when he comes again, Matthew 24, 29, every star will fall from its socket in the sky. The first time he came, he was a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the next time he comes, Revelation 19, he'll be wearing a robe dipped in blood. The first time he came, he was placed in a manger. The second time he comes, the Bible says that he will sit. Oh, hallelujah. Help me preach this today. He will sit on David's throne. When he came the first time, they knocked on the door of the inn. Oh, we don't have any room in the inn for you and your little baby. There was no room for Jesus. He came into his own, and the Bible says his own received him not. But I've read Psalm 24, a prophetic look into the future, and the Bible says that when he comes again, they're going to fling open the gates and make way for the king. Oh, friend, and then lastly, the first time that he came, he split the timeline in half. B.C., A.D., even those old curmudgeons who don't want to think about God, don't want to think about Christmas, every time they write the date, they acknowledge his coming. B.C. and A.D., he split that timeline in half. And the Bible says that when he comes again, Zechariah 14, 4, he's going to plant those feet on the Mount of Olives and he's going to split that mountain in two. Oh, friend. Let me clue you in on something here this morning. He's not on next year's ballot. But I can guarantee you he's the only hope to fix this broken and wayward nation. And my friend, he will never be impeached. He didn't come to take sides. He's coming to take over. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm a monarchist. And I serve a coming King of Kings. Amen. A few years ago, there was an incredible little news piece that caught my eye. And it fits so well with this message here today. CBS reporter Steve Hartman told the amazing story of a 10-year-old girl named Bethany Arnold. Here's the headline. Santa fulfills a girl's difficult wish. On the last day before school let out for Christmas break at Tar River Elementary near Raleigh, Bethany's second grade class had a party and Santa made an appearance. Each child received a gift from Santa Claus except Bethany. You see, weeks before the party, each kid had wrote a letter to Santa telling him what they wanted for Christmas. Bethany didn't ask for toys or a puppy, but her letter read this. Dear Santa, my daddy is serving overseas with the army. Could you bring him home for Christmas? That would be the best gift of all. Well, here's the rest of the story. Bethany's dad, Wendell Arnold, 
had only seen Bethany in two, once in two years. Their last meeting was almost a year ago, and Wendell gave his daughter a heart keychain. He carried the other half. While I'm away, you carry my heart and I'll carry yours, he told his daughter. And when I'll get back, I'll give you your piece of the heart. As the party wrapped up, the kids were given a chance to sit on Santa's knee and have a photo. And when Bethany sat with Santa, he said, I have a special gift for you today. Santa pulled out of his pocket that heart pendant. Bethany's jaw dropped and then Santa took off his beard and revealed the face of her dad, Wendell. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And friend, here's the point. If that father can keep his promise to his daughter to come back and claim her. Oh my friend, how much more can we believe in the promise of the Son of God who said, Ha! There's many mansions in my father's house. And if I go to prepare a place, I shall come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Oh, praise God. We may be that raptured generation that the Bible speaks of. We may be that zero-hour generation that sees Jesus face to face. He's coming back. Amen. He didn't stay dead. And he won't stay gone. What did Mary know? Supernatural conception. Suffering cross. Sovereign crowning. And what she knew, now you know. And you have to do something with that. We're going to stand to our feet and Brother Preston is going to come and we're going to sing an invitation of just as I am. And if you need to respond to this message today, we want to give you the opportunity. There's no better gift that you could receive on this Christmas Eve than the gift of salvation that Jesus so freely gives. Hey, He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to give you forgiveness and hope, peace, and amazing grace. If you need to reach out to that Savior today, He'll meet you where you are. As we sing this morning, just as I am, you come. And I'll pray with you and pray for you. And God will meet you and change your life.